The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Hope everybody had a great Earth Day this year. I sure did. I spent it, as I have the last five years, in China with the China Entrepreneur Club and their annual Green Company Summit. We were talking about sustainability practices in a variety of Chinese and multinational businesses. It was very riveting. I had a great time, and I want to thank my Chinese hosts for having me over. Today's show is something that I'm very excited about, not just because of the theme of the show, but also because our guest is incredible, and I'm so happy to have her on. Uh, I recently was able to preview a new documentary that's coming out. It's called Mother. Caring for Seven Billion, and the film is based largely upon the research of our guest today, Dr. Rianne Eisler, and she's going to be discussing with us something that we have touched on before on Go Green Radio, and that's uh, human population issues, but she has a very fresh perspective, um, a multidisciplinary perspective, not just economic, not just demographics, but truly a multidisciplinary approach to some of the issues surrounding um, population growth, and she has some some riveting theories that I think you're really going to find fresh and thought provoking. So, welcome, Dr. Eisler, to Go Green Radio. We are so happy to have you with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Jill. Well, let's begin by talking about the documentary, Mother, Caring for Seven Billion. The topic of the film is population growth and its impact on the planet's ability to provide ample resources to all its inhabitants. As a mother and as a grandmother yourself, what are your greatest concerns about the burdens that future generations will bear as a result of rising human population? I think that uh, the whole problem of overpopulation is the elephant in the room. It is the elephant in the room um, not only for, for my grandchildren and my children, but for us. I mean, consider, for example, that in eight years, uh, India is projected to exceed to exceed the population of China. Mm-hmm. It's already one billion right now, by the way, mm-hmm. which is rather astronomical. Now, why should this matter? Well, it matters uh, because the problem of not only our Earth's carrying capacity, but issues that we are all, I think, very aware of, global warming, pollution, all the environmental issues, water shortages, uh, everything, a political unrest, they're all in one way or another related to population issues. So the taboo, and it's been a taboo, uh, 
in 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 the last decades to really take on this issue is one reason that I am so pleased uh, why, about this film about mother uh, caring for seven billion uh, that it's out and I really highly recommend it and I yes I'm very concerned as a mother as a grandmother as well as as you mentioned by uh, you know through my work through my research and the research of hundreds and by now thousands of others. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that it's only beginning to reach the mainstream consciousness, This, even though there have been scientists and social scientists for decades talking about the correlation between natural resources and human population. I think in America, it's only beginning to reach the the level of the conscious mind in mainstream America, that there is this connection between the two, that, that truly our Earth has only a finite amount of resources. And with increasing population, there is we're beginning to see strife. We're beginning to see human conflict as a result of reaching some of those limits. You know, the film touches on an issue that we've actually not discussed on this show previously, and that is the effect that a system of dominance has had on population matters. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners what your research re- research shows about the correlation of a dominance-based society and population growth. Well, the uh, classifications introduced in my research uh, really go beyond the old ways that we're used to thinking about societies of religious versus secular, Eastern versus Western, um, capitalist versus socialist, uh, right versus left, uh, because actually, you know, you can have terrible regimes in all of these categories, can't you? And terrible conditions for people, and we've seen that historically. And my research really was an attempt to answer some very basic questions about human possibilities, because we have a very wide spectrum of possibilities from our capacity for caring and for empathy and for our creativity, which we certainly have, to, yes, our capacities for cruelty and violence and destructiveness. And my research, which is really rooted in my own uh, early childhood experiences as a child refugee from Nazi Europe, uh, was, does it have to be this way? Uh, Why, when we have these tremendously positive capacities, has there uh, been this violence, uh, this cruelty, this uh, inhumanity, so much of it throughout history. And um, I saw right away uh, in, in this research that the old categories, as I said, don't answer those questions. So I introduced these new categories, as I said, the nomination system and the partnership system. And as you alluded to in your question, uh, overpopulation, but not only overpopulation, but uh, most of the ills that uh, we see around us, including the exploitation irresponsibly, uncaringly of both people 
and nature is really rooted in what I call a domination system. Uh, now, one of the things that we really have to look at in looking at societies is, again, something that is something of an elephant in the room, which is not just the politics, the economics as conventionally defined, but how a society structures the most fundamental human relations, which are the relations without which none of us would be here, the relations between the female and male half of humanity and between them and their daughters and sons. And these two new categories of the partnership system and domination system take this cultural construction of these relations into account. And to quickly go to the answer to your question after this somewhat longer um, explanation of how we got there, one of the correlations that we see historically cross-culturally is that in cultures that orient more to the domination side and one of the elements of that it's always a matter of degree, by the way, of that system is the rigid ranking of the male half of humanity over the female half, you find that uh, the status of women is basically defined as technologies of reproduction for men to produce sons. And that has been a huge contributor to the population explosion uh, over the last, uh, decades because, you know, population used to be basically taken care of by uh, famines, by wars, by disease, right? Right. And as we've moved more to the partnership side, uh, we have really seen a decrease in these. But what we haven't seen enough of a decrease in is in availability of family planning. I mean, most uh, births world in the developing world uh, by now we know uh, are, are not wanted i mean people want smaller families women want smaller families mm-hmm. uh, and of course uh, if women don't have other options then uh, be, you know bearing men's sons if that's the only means of survival of status they're going to keep doing that mm-hmm. so we've had this enormous population explosion. Now, there are other factors which we can get to, but uh, that is the strongest uh, link between a domination system, which is not only the ranking of male over female, it's also the ranking, it's it's top-down rankings, you know, Mm top-down rankings, be it race over race, religion over religion, uh, class over class, uh, etc. But that is one of the major factors. I think your your um, categorization of partnership versus dominance systems, you know, would even ring true with some of the Occupy Wall Street movements. I and mean, I think there's this general feeling that that an organic uprising uh, against the domination um, model, even if that's not the vernacular that they're that they're using. Um, so I think it's your research is exceptionally timely and, and not just about the population issues, but a number of human conflicts as well. One of the interesting data points that was mentioned in the film um, was that there have been global surveys conducted and they show almost uh, with 100% accuracy that uh, desired family size 
is much smaller than actual family size. And I found that to be very interesting. I was wondering if you could give us some insight as to why uh, you believe that phenomenon is happening and if it has to do, again, with the dominance-based system versus the partnership-based system. Well, absolutely. It is directly related to that. And, uh, you, you know, you see variations in different cultures, but in cultures that are really uh, more uh, rigidly oriented to the domination side, uh, where, as I said, uh, you, you, and you see these correlations, by the way, not only with overpopulation, but if you really look at, uh, at our global map, you see, for example, that world regions where there are still a very authoritarian regimes where there is a lot more violence that's socially condoned, especially mm-hmm. in families, are also more rigidly male-dominated. And I really want to emphasize something. This is not a question of women against men or men against women. Uh, men in domination systems, as well as women, are denied part of their humanity because masculinity is defined as not being like a woman, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, at all costs. And then, of course, we classify some of our most evolved human characteristics, uh, the capacity for caring, for empathy, for, you know, the soft, right, the soft values as, as, as feminine rather than masculine. So no wonder we've got the mess we've got. Um, yes, we do need to talk about gender. And I always want to put on the table the fact that people are uncomfortable talking about gender. But I also then like to point out what the great sociologist Lewis Worth said, which is that the most important things about a society are those very often that people don't want to talk about. We saw that about race, didn't we? And it's only as we started to talk about it uh, that things began to change. And it's the same thing with gender. So, yes, if you have a situation, as you do in, unfortunately, many regions of the developing world where women do not have access to family planning, where they can't even go see... Well, they can't even leave the ho- their homes without being accompanied by a male family member, uh, mm-hmm. where they basically uh, are barred from uh, education to a very large extent. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going to see uh, what you do see. Now, the good news is that we today have something that we didn't used to have, which is part of the movement towards partnership. We have a global women's movement. And it is as um, that movement succeeds uh, more that we will see much more progress in all areas. But here I want to say something. This taboo about talking about population uh, really happened because of an alliance between the Vatican and some uh, very regressive um Islamist regimes, and they started to spread this story that a population planning is an imperialist, um, a capitalist plot, right, a, some sort of genocide. Um, and this has really been bought, unfortunately, by quite a few people 
uh, who consider themselves progressives, who make the argument, and it is certainly a sound argument, that one of the problems about poverty, etc., is misdistribution of resources. But they are in denial. You know, just as the right seems to be in denial about global warming, the left seems to be in denial about population. Because, I mean, every expert will tell you that there is a finite carrying capacity to our planet. And we see that, don't we? All around us. And Dr. Eisler, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll delve even deeper into this issue. So folks, don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to change your relationships, your business, your body, and your life? You'll want to tune in to Transformation Talk Radio with host Tony Litster. It's an inspiring hour of conversation, special guests, and wisdom that has made Tony an expert with personal life experience. His down-to-earth style will give you the keys to unlock your greatest potential. Listen for Transformation Talk Radio live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listening can truly change your life. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us today. And I'm also so glad that I got the opportunity to preview an upcoming documentary called Mother, Caring for Seven Billion, based largely upon the research of Dr. Rian Eisler, who's our guest today on Go Green Radio. The film discusses in great detail some of the uh, correlation between the environmental degradation that we're beginning to see across the world and population growth. And it really does a nice job of showing exactly how those relationships work. But you know, Dr. Eisler, there are some people who say that the problems we're facing is not based on population. It's based upon the consumption of population and that instead of focusing on 
curbing population growth. What we really need to focus on is curbing consumption. Um, and I'm wondering what you believe about this notion that uh, population is not the pressing issue, but rather consumption. What is your position on that, on that right. theory? I think that we really need to take a systems approach, which is the approach of my research and of increasing number of people, and not to say one cause. You know, life is not about one linear cause and effect. Mm-hmm. There are interactive processes, and yes, of course, overconsumption, and the overconsumption not only of, uh, uh, you know, the West, but what's beginning to happen now in China uh, among certain segments of the population in any case and in India and so on is a factor and the fact that so much of this overconsumption doesn't really um, add anything much to happiness. I mean, the studies are very clear. After a certain level, in my book, The Real Wealth of Nations, you know, I cite, for example, studies uh, showing that after a certain level of satisfaction of basic needs, uh, hey, happiness doesn't increase with more uh, consumption. Um, in fact, it's sort of an addictive thing. Uh, but this said, that's not the only factor. Uh, and if we really are, you know, I mean, as I said, I think we have to get out of this denial that population matters. Population is a huge factor. And it's interesting in in, in in evolution, in nature, overpopulation of a species is a kind of a death knell for it. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want that to happen to our species. Mm-hmm. And the price, the price that families, uh, women, nations pay for overpopulation is huge. I mean, uh, look at the economic situation, for example, I mean, the whole Arab Spring is really young people uh, who uh, don't have, I mean, the unemployment rate is horrendous, you know, about 30, 40 percent mm-hmm. of young people. Uh, that's overpopulation, isn't it? Well, and you you couple that with the large percentage of those nations' populations who are in that range. It's not as if you've got, you know, 10% of the population under 30 with 40% unemployment. In many cases in those nations, you have a much larger percentage of the overall population within that age group. So you're talking about a huge percentage of the overall population who is either underemployed or unemployed. And, you know, actually, now that you mention Arab Spring, there are a lot of people who believe that what really became the flashpoint that caused the uprisings was the price of food. It was coupled with unemployment. But this was actually something that struck me in the film because I had never in my own mind juxtaposed peak oil and peak population. And this was a real eye-opener for me. One of the experts in the film mentioned that oil is so critical to modern agriculture and our ability to reap the maximum yield out of our farmable land. And yet, just as our world population is reaching its peak, we're also reaching peak oil production, which, of course, will mean higher oil prices, and higher oil prices means higher food costs. Just at this moment in human history, when we have the most mouths to feed. And I'm wondering, how do you foresee our society and public policy systems 
being able to successfully meet this incredible challenge? Well, we have to really re-examine, and this is, um, I mentioned my most recent book, The Real Wealth of Nations, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very deeply, uh, because the problem is uh, that the old approaches, uh, both capitalist and socialist, really uh, are not adequate to meet these uh, you know, unprecedented crises. And yes, overpopulation is one of the factors in the crisis. I mean, look look even at uh, the simple issue of cars and emissions. That's mm-hmm. directly related to population, isn't it? Of course. I mean, you know, it isn't the car. It's all of these cars and mm-hmm. more and it's more and more. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, technology uh, is certainly changing our technology, but you have to really go much more deeply. And as I said, in The Real Wealth of Nations, I introduce a concept that uh, may sound, uh, in a sense, like an oxymoron, caring economy. And, you know, it's really interesting because people do a double take, don't they? Just by putting caring and economics and economy in the same sentence, and I always like to point out what a terrible comment that is on how we've been conditioned to accept that economic systems will be driven by uncaring values. And it does not have to be that way. And, you know, uh, I mean, this my approach, as I said, is a systemic one. So if we really look at nations that are moving more to the green side... Uh, nations where, uh, well, Sweden, Finland, Norway, Iceland, Denmark, uh, these are all nations that have moved more to the partnership side of the continuum, uh, where there is a more of a valuing, and this is the key. Caring, of course, uh, for people, for nature, right? It's considered soft, feminine, inefficient, but It's only as the status of women rises, and these nations are in the always have have well the World Economic uh, uh, Forum's global gender gap reports. They have the lowest gender gaps. That's a characteristic of the partnership system. Uh, Women are between thirty and fifty percent of the national legislatures. Women heads of state are not a big deal. Well, as the status of women rises, so also uh, does the way that men are able to embrace uh, without feeling so threatened in their status, in their, quote, masculinity, more stereotypically feminine, more soft, caring uh, activities and policies. So... Uh, this is this is really very important that we really look at this hidden subtext of gendered valuations, and you see it everywhere, and it directly affects, of course, the notion of caring for people and caring for nature. Because in capitalist and socialist theory, for both Adam Smith and for Marx, uh, nature was there to be exploited. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the work of caring for people in households starting in early childhood, for them, that, quote, women's work, right, 
Mm -hmm. uh, that was just reproductive work rather than productive work. So if we're going to move forward, I mean, you asked me about policies, we really have to re-examine everything, including how we measure economic and uh, human and social health, which is something that we're working on uh, rather diligently at the organization uh, that I'm president of, uh, the Center for Partnership Studies, uh, we're working on the development of new social wealth indicators that, yes, that factor in the enormous economic, not only human and environmental, contributions of the most important human work, the work of caring for people starting in early childhood and caring for our Mother Earth. And we wouldn't be where we are today if we had measurements, practices, policies that really care uh, for these, uh, well, for the real wealth of our nation, people Absolutely. and nature. Well, and I think that there are, there are ample studies that show that by raising the status of women in a society, the overall society itself uh, is, is raised along with it. It's kind of the, the rising tide that raises all ships. Many uh, measurements of quality of life become better for the whole society, for the children and for the men when the status of women is raised. And what I really like about your message most is you've said it twice during the course of the show, and I hope we'll say it many more times, that, that what we see in the world today is not the way it has to be. We can make choices. We have dominance over our, our uh, the systems that we choose. We can make them different. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have much more with Dr. Eisler. We'll be talking about the movie Mother Caring for Seven Billion. So don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm glad that you could join us. And if you're just tuning in, don't worry, we'll catch you up. Our guest today is Dr. Rian Eisler. She is the president of the Center for Partnership Studies. You can actually check out her website while we interview her. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But you can open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.partnershipway.com. Org and check out um, her organization, her uh, articles, her books, and some of her speeches. We're so glad to have her on. We're talking about a, an upcoming documentary that's been based upon, in large part, her studies. And that documentary is named Mother caring for 7 billion the general theme of the of the film is population growth and some of the environmental strain that population growth is causing one of the things that we've been talking about with Dr. Eisler is that oftentimes when the status of women in a society is elevated um, uh, to a more equitable position with men uh, we'll often see an impact on population growth. Uh, when women have more choices about uh, when they get married and how many children they have, um, when they have access to education, there is often a very positive impact on the stabilization of a society's population growth. And yet, there stands a contradiction or a seeming contradiction to that data, and that is the United States of America. Um, in the U.S., we typically think of our society as one in which girls have equal access to education as boys, that women have equal rights and access to birth control without their partner's consent, and yet 40% of the pregnancies in this country are unplanned, and we have one of the highest teen pregnancy rates in the industrialized world. My question to you, Dr. Eisler, is does this data seem to contradict the notion that raising the status of women will curb population growth? Uh, not really, because what you have seen in uh, the last several decades in the United States, uh, well, today... Uh, in the media, you're reading about the war on women, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, you've been seeing a real regression to the domination side. And as I said, if we look at it systemically, yes, uh, certainly gender relations are part of it, but what have you seen? You have seen since the 60s, you've seen a retrenchment, haven't you, in uh, economic equality. I mean, the gaps between haves and have-nots, which is characteristic of what I call domination systems, have been growing. Uh, the so-called trickle-down economics, well, that's really a regression, isn't it, to the old system where those on bottom were supposed to content themselves with the scraps dropping from the opulent tables uh, of those on top, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, also seen, of course, more uh, of a really uh, reliance, uh, you know, aggressive war. I mean, the war, you know, the wars against Iraq, for example. Uh, so you you have begun to see also, because it's part of the configuration, a tremendous backlash against the gains 
that were made in the 60s and 70s by the women's movement. Uh, and, you know, this mythology somehow that women and men have equal opportunities and equal rights in this country is just that, a mythology. I'll give you some statistics. Uh, women, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, women over the age of 65 are twice as likely to be poor as men over 65, okay? Mm. Now, that is not only because of job discrimination, but it's also because most of these women are or were uh, either part or full-time caregivers, and poverty is their reward. And this, again, it doesn't have to be that way. If you look at Western Europe, there's paid parental leave. There, uh, in, in uh, nations like Sweden, Finland, Norway, uh, not only is there very generous paid parental leave, but there is also uh, government policies, uh, universal health care, uh, uh, high-quality child care, uh, stipends to help families care for children, and, of course, much more a sex education and availability of reproductive rights. I mean, we have been going backwards since Roe versus Wade, not only in regards to abortion, but in regards to contraception. I mean, to have Republican presidential candidates say that contraception is a social evil, I mean, it would be a joke if it weren't being taken seriously by a, 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 a quite a few people, including them, uh, seemingly. I mean, contraception has been the most important factor in uh, not only uh, stemming population growth, but in, 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 in raising the standard of living. And, you know, the fact that 40% of our pregnancies are, you know, I mean, and many of them are teenage pregnancies, the highest in the developed world, uh, that is directly related, of course, to two other factors which are very degrading to women. I mean, one of them is this notion that uh, girls uh, really are uh, to not learn anything about sex, right? Uh, I mean, boys Except presumably... they see at the mall with Victoria's Secret uh, posters, well, larger than life. <laughs> that's the other and, thing you see, the sexualization of yes. women. I mean, how, how can you really talk about that? Uh, in, seriously, if you look at the barrage of media that objectifies women and really shows them uh, as sex objects, and then, well, you know, as mothers. I mean, those are still the two... Uh, uh, characterization. So we don't have equality in this country between women and men. And, and I do want to tell you something. We did a study at the Center for Partnership Studies uh, uh, showing that availability of contraception is one of the most important indicators of general quality of life. And look at the struggle we're having here. Well, and I can tell you, too, having just come back from China, and I've traveled all over China, not just in the coastal cities of Beijing and Shanghai. I have been – I've just came back from central China. I've been to western China. Um, In countries like that and in India where you have true population issues, 
you do not see women half naked in mall posters. You just don't. It's not a highly sexualized media. You don't see it on TV. You don't see it in public places. And I think there's just a huge disconnect um, between our advertising and, and what's considered okay. And sex sells everything from food to beer to clothing. Um, and and taking population seriously. You can't spray jet fuel on uh, the hormones of teenagers who are hanging out in malls by putting this kind of stuff up and then expect any real progress in terms of teen pregnancy rates. Honestly, I, I just don't see how uh, we can seriously talk about population issues while we continue to propagate sexual activity in every conceivable media outlet. <laughs> I really don't. It isn't only sexual activity, but it's the objectification. And the, I mean, these, these little girls who are now going on YouTube saying, am I pretty? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole idea that we have equality is nonsense if the whole identity of a girl is being formed as to whether she is sexually attractive to someone else, okay, a male, I mean, in, in the ads at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's insane. So, no, we do not have equality. Uh, we don't have economic equality. As I said, that very telling statistic of women over 65, we uh, do not really have uh, equality of opportunities because girls are totally diverted from developing their capacities to just, uh, you know, thinking about themselves as, am I a, a, an attractive sex object? Uh, you know, that, it's funny. That- I watch public policy quite a bit. I mean, it's kind of a hobby of mine uh, to watch what's going on in, in state and federal and even global public policy. And I oftentimes find myself thinking, that piece of legislation that just passed would have never happened if... You know, a a good percentage of the people in the room were mothers (laughs) and not just women, but mothers, mothers with skin in the game and a DNA investment in the future. And, you know, I'm seeing more and more, at least in the U.S., even in the state of California, which is considered liberal and progressive, a declining number of women as elected officials at the local, state, federal level, we're seeing fewer women in positions of, of power where they can actually take a vote on public policy. How hopeful are you that we can get to the place where we need to be in the U.S. in the absence of more women, particularly mothers, in positions of leadership? Well, I don't think it's going to happen uh, without that. And I think that, as I said, it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, Yes, there are nations where women are uh, almost half of the national legislature. We're pathetically behind. I mean, what is it, 14% rather than 40 Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, so the whole mythology that women are fed, that we have equality in this country, really needs to be reexamined, doesn't it? I believe you're right. I believe you're right. Well, we've got to take a very quick commercial break. But when we come back, we'll have more with Dr. Eisler. In fact, she wrote a very interesting article that we're going to be talking about in the next segment called A Hidden Truth About Climate Change. And I'm very excited for her to talk about this. And we'll be doing that in the next segment. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. 
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Solvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Solvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us. Today our guest is Dr. Rian Eisler. She's the president of the Center for Partnership Studies. You can find her website and many great pieces of information that are housed on that website at www.partnershipway.org. And uh, you'll definitely want to check that out. Her research has led in large part to the content of a new upcoming documentary called Mother, Caring for Seven Billion. It's a fascinating documentary. I, I watched it this week. Um, you know, you've also written an article that I found on your website, Dr. Eisler, that I thought was very, very interesting. It was called A Hidden Truth About Climate Change, which outlines the alarming data that the impact of extreme weather events, which are often associated, of course, with climate change, have on women. And I'd love for you to discuss that data with our listeners. Well, again, it's uh, really so important to uh, desegregate the data by gender because then we begin to see uh, so much that is hidden in generalities about what happens. Studies, for example, show that in natural disasters, uh, women are 14 times more likely to die in, oh, uh, in them. And uh, in some of the world regions, like, for example, one study in Bangladesh, in a flash flood, 90%, 90% of the fatalities were women. Now, that is not coincidental. Uh, 
the status of women is very low in Bangladesh. Uh, it, they are so male-controlled that, for example, uh, they are not taught to swim. But it's not just that. Uh, they can't leave the house without mm-hmm. being accompanied by a man. So, so deeply ingrained is that uh, brainwashing of women that they can't do that, that it's immoral, that many of these drownings were because women waited. And, of course, with them, their children waited, too. So we really have to look at traditions of domination, don't we, Uh, if we're going to change uh, some of these terribly unnecessary tragedies. As more and more regions are beginning to create policies and programs to address human adaptation to climate change, what public policy measures would you recommend to help mitigate this disproportionate impact on women and children during extreme weather events? Well, one of the simplest is simply including women in uh, the uh, bodies that address these issues. In fact, again, there's data, and it's in that article, uh, as you said, The Hidden Truth About Climate Change, uh, that's on our website at partnershipway.org, that where women are included in the planning for disasters, uh, the rates are much, much lower. The fatality rates are much lower. So that's a very simple thing, isn't it? But unfortunately, it goes against these traditions, doesn't it, of domination. So it's really all, uh, uh, again, looking at issues that are actually elephants in the room, as I said, about overpopulation, about the status of women, um, that that we haven't been paying attention to, uh, including the fact that if we're really serious about poverty, we have to take into account that worldwide uh, women are 70% of those living in absolute poverty, which is starvation or near starvation. Well, if we don't have policies directly addressing the status of women, yes, including the availability of family planning to them uh, and uh, other life options, of course, than uh, bearing sons, uh, we're not going to change much of anything, are we? So true. So true. I'd love for you to spend a few moments uh, talking to our listeners about your organization, the Center for Partnership Studies, and how our listeners might be able to get involved or interface with your organization. The Center for Partnership Studies um, really um, arose in um, in '87 when there was this incredible, to me at any rate, um, reception of, um, of one of my books, *The Chalice and the Blade*, which, by the way, is now in 25 foreign editions. And even though it was first published in '87, it's still uh, it was just published in Urdu for use in Pakistan and a, a, a Turkish uh, house has just acquired it. So it, it's what they call one of those evergreens, the chalice and the blade. <laughs> well, and, congratulations. And we, we founded the organization because there was this outpouring of people saying we want to do something. Well, we needed a, a non-profit. And uh, I'm going to jump to the present now uh, because we have two major initiatives, which are, again, interventions with a cascade of systemic effects. One is our uh, really our work to end traditions 
of violence against women and children, uh, which are barbaric, I mean, uh, worldwide. And I really invite you to, I mean, just think of the connection. You know, if children grow up either experiencing violence or witnessing violence against their mothers, which is still accepted by women, okay, Mm -hmm. in so many world regions, as even a sign that a man loves them, you know, or he wouldn't be beating them. Mm -hmm. Um, If they experience or see that, well, they learn a very important lesson, which is that it's okay to use violence to impose your will on others. It's not exactly education for peace, is it? So we better start looking at that. The other is our caring economy campaign. And this is really exciting work. And I invite our listeners uh, to join with us in any way. We have, for example, a wonderful online online, uh, caring economy leadership training program. Uh, And as a matter of fact, we have some cohorts starting in May. Uh, And if you hurry, you can still enroll at partnershipway.org. People from, we keep the cohorts small, uh, and you get tremendous resources. uh, You do a practicum. It's it's modeled on the Al Gore uh, and Inconvenient Truth uh, program where you then go out and you make presentations to your colleagues at your school, wherever you happen to be. Uh, because the first step really in changing things is changing the conversation. You know, in the Middle Ages, the operative ideals were fealty, obedience, right? Well, then we started to talk about uh, equality, freedom. In the same way, we've got to start changing the conversation about economics and start talking about a caring economy. And uh, a brand-new website will be up next week called CaringEconomy.com. Uh, and I really invite you, I invite you, we have a coalition uh, of organizations, major organizations, uh, and we have our public policy uh, part of the uh, Caring Economy campaign, which is the development of new social wealth economic indicators to really supplement and in some ways replace GDP. And we're having a major meeting of experts in Washington, D.C. in in May uh, to talk about this. And, yes, indicators that will show the enormous return on investment, uh, on investing in caring for people starting in early childhood and caring for our natural environment. Uh, this is the kind of foundational work that we have to do, and I also want to invite people who are in the Occupy movement to really uh, uh, really become engaged in this because to just critique uh, what is essentially, you know, critiquing, as you said earlier, a domination uh, economics isn't going to get us anywhere. We have to really also, we can't just deconstruct, we have to reconstruct. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Caring Economy Campaign is about, starting with new ways of measuring what is economic health, because what is not measured is not going to be included in policy. 
I so agree. And, and right now, um, so many of the wonderful benefits that our natural environment give to us, uh, trees that have no value until they're chopped down when, while they're standing, they help us breathe, um, you know, th- those are things that need to be taken into account, valued, uh, part of the uh, decision-making process about how to handle the natural resources that we hold so dear. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Eisler. We've come to the end of this episode, regrettably, but it's been wonderful having you here. Our listeners, again, can check out your website at www.partnershipway.org. Folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.